You are listening to Anamkara, a podcast about the spiritual journey and what makes us human. Anamkara is a soul friend, a person with whom you can share your deepest thoughts, feelings, and dreams with. In this podcast, I will share my journey as well as occasionally have guests from myriad different religions and walks of life. And for a time, we walk together and learn from each other's journey. So come along with us and be an Anamkara, a soul friend. It has been snowy and icy for several days this week. I've enjoyed being at home and staying home safe and sound. And with that, I've really enjoyed spending time by myself, if that makes sense. Lately, I've been digging deeper into meditation, my yoga, my qigong practice, and really doing some contemplative practices um, and self-inquiry and just... Uh, looking at questions about the universe, God, all those little questions, you know. And I began to reflect on last year during the lockdown, I learned some new practices. I became a Qigong instructor. I um, learned to make candles using herbs and oils and beeswax and and I learned to make soaps, goat's milk soaps and salves and balms and different things like that. Um, and I loved it. And I never want to stop my curiosity about life. I think that's why I do this podcast is to learn about people's stories, to hear their journeys that are often very different from my own. And um, so I've actually signed up for two different learning courses, learning programs, I guess it is. Uh, One is to be a laughter yoga teacher. I've watched laughter yoga on YouTube. Um, Unfortunately, I had not ever attended one in person until recently. And so I signed up for it. And oh my gosh, it is wild. It is crazy. It is wonderful. And I've really been trying to put words around how this really is a spiritual practice, because I think it is. It really comes back to the heart of joy. And not only, you know, there's health benefits to laughing that your brain doesn't distinguish between fake laughter and real laughter. And often you may start out with uh, fake laughter and wind up laughing in genuine. But I also know my personality. It can be very serious. Um, And so this laughter reminds me relax. It's okay. Don't take it so serious. Not everything is urgent, has to be taken with utmost care. You can laugh, you can enjoy life a little bit. And so I, you know, I ask you this question, how do you make room for joy and laughter in your life? Uh, I'm learning. I'm learning. And then the other thing I signed up for is to become a yoga instructor, specifically yin yoga. And in a nutshell, what yin yoga is, rather than moving fairly quickly through the asanas and the poses, it is actually to sit with a pose for several minutes. And I love that that mindset because I'm one of those people that I will sit with a question, I will sit with my thoughts, I will, I, I live in my brain 
quite often, but I can also, in my meditation, sometimes just sitting in the presence of spirit and the presence of God and the presence of nature. And so the idea of just sitting with a pose really resounds in my heart. So those have been what's on my mind and heart lately. What's been on yours? Man, I would love to know. Reach out to me. Let me know. And then I guess without further ado, let's talk about our guest. Our guest today is Zach Vegan. Zach is a yoga teacher. He is an embodied Buddhist spiritual fella. Um, he, we talk about in this interview, uh, we talk about his spiritually diverse upbringing, his asana, uh, asana teaching and what embodied spirituality looks like, as well as something I know very little about. And he, it was very enlightening to hear about, but it was about plant medicine. Um, so without further ado, let's just get right into it. And I hope you enjoy, go get you some hot tea and enjoy the podcast. All right, Zach, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me, Jack. Absolutely. So let's just start at the beginning. What was your religious upbringing? So my parents actually met in the Church of Scientology and they were able to leave the Church of Scientology without getting excommunicated about 10 years before I was born. Um, but some of the, you know, Scientology is a big complicated thing, but there are really some beautiful, helpful parts of it. And some of those um, my parents kept and were, were present when I was growing up. Uh, my dad was raised Catholic and my neighbors were also Catholic and brought me to Catholic mass with them many weeks. Um, so I have some of that in me. Uh, my mom was raised Jewish and we grew up for a long time sort of culturally but not religiously Jewish. And when I was about 10, I'd say, I started to feel a strong pull towards my Jewish heritage and I decided to have a bar mitzvah. So I'm a bar mitzvah Jew. Um, but then my parents also raised us in the Unitarian Universalist Society where I went many Sundays and did the Unitarian Universalist coming of age, which has a lot of comparative religions. And as part of that, like you visit a mosque and a Hindu temple and um, various Buddhist temples and um, you learn a lot about the religions of the world and get to visit and experience some of them. So I have that in me too. And then I also went to a Quaker <laughs> summer camp uh, where um, on the one hand, you know, it's just summer camp, but um, that is such an intentional community that lives by Quaker ideals and we have Quaker meeting for worship every day. Uh, so that was also a really strong influence in my life. Uh, if you, if someone really wanted me to pin down with a label of what I am, I'd say I'm kind of Buddhist, but I'm really Quaker. Um, because um, following that through and sort of seeing the intentionality of the Quaker community, that spoke to me the most. And at that stage in my life, it felt like that was the community where people were really living what they spoke about the most. And so that um, that was very influential on me. Uh, and along the way, since then, I practiced a lot of Buddhist meditation. Um, so those are sort of the two strongest influences in my life that you see threads of all the others. 
So a Quaker Jew, you Scientologist with Buddhist foundations. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love it. I love it. How did how you were raised affect your practice now? Did, did those spiritual traditions, do they still play a part in your practice now? Absolutely, they do. Um, I think part of... I mean, this is very Unitarian Universalist, but because of my own direct experience with each of those, um, it kind of makes me a Universalist and a perennialist, where it's really easy for me to see the nuggets of truth in every religion. Um, and on so many ways, though not totally, uh, I very much see them all as different pathways all to the same place. Um, and so that that's a strong influence. And then the ones that really come up for me most regularly are Quaker ideals. Um, Judaism is very strong in me. Uh, and, and of course, the Buddhist meditation. Absolutely. So you teach yoga. Mm -hmm. How, what role does yoga play in your spirituality now? Ah, yeah, that's such a good question. Um, it's it's so funny to be a white man yoga teacher in America um, because yoga, of course, originally is a Hindu practice. And we have so many cultural ideas, most of which, maybe not most, but many of which are really misinformed about what yoga really is and what we practice um, as yoga poses and yoga practice that you see ubiquitously in this country is so incredibly far removed from what um, yoga really is in a, in a Hindu setting um, that I, for a long time, I actually would not say that I was a yoga teacher. I said that I was an asana teacher. Uh, however, for me, and this really, really comes from sitting deeply with you know, we are here in this embodied experience and that's not an accident. And so what, and, and this actually really is rooted in, in, in my sense of what it means to be Quaker. We are here in this physical world that God made. And to, to discard that is really to look a gift horse in the mouth. And so for me, yoga as a practice, as an embodiment practice, and I don't even always say I'm a yoga teacher these days, I say I'm a mindful embodiment coach or an embodied mindfulness coach. Love it, love it. Um, is about how do we encounter our physical selves in a way that's really about encountering something deeper than that, in a way that's about taking care of and respecting and having a sense of stewardship for this physical gift we were given as a way to express all of the spiritual because I don't see them as inherently different. And so anything we can do to take care of the physical, to take care of this vessel um, is, is a spiritual practice if we take it to that level. It's not about, you know, what pose can I do? It's not about how can I look with my clothes off or even with my clothes on. It's about how can this, this physical being be a vessel for experience and, you know, um, one of my childhood mentors um, really spoke about uh, if we don't feel like the relationship we have with our body is right, how can we feel everything, anything is right? 
And that got me at a fairly young age. I think I was about 14 when she said that to me, uh, maybe 15 or so. That got me thinking about, because at the time I had chronic pain and I knew that affected my psyche and how I viewed everything. And so it got me thinking about what could we do to make our physical body more at home? Uh, and got me thinking about how in many ways our physical body is the filter through which we experience everything. And so it has its own lens um, and sort of tint that it puts on reality so that anything we could do to improve that relationship would logically follow that it improves our relationship with everything else. Um, so my practice now, um, both in my own body and working with other people is how do we develop the sort of boundaries and quotation marks of the physical body as a really comfortable home, as our spiritual home, um, to really be at home in our physical bodies because that is inescapable in this life, right? We're always gonna be embodied. Uh, so how do we put ourselves at home in there that's a spiritual practice. I love that. That's, I, you know, we've known each other for a while and it's very funny because I consider my practice embodied that I loved hearing your explanation much better than my own. So that was, that was great because Thank you. to make this home, this is this is our home and how do we embody it uh, for lack of a better word. Mm -hmm. So talk about the body work you do for clients. What is that like? So, you know, I'm, I used to say, it's still true, that I am a multimodal body worker um, because I, you know, I graduated from um, multiple yoga teacher trainings. I was just going to stop and count, but <laughs> decided not to. Um, I have also graduated. I'm, a, I'm no longer. I've let my certification lapse, but I used to be a certified gyrotonic trainer. Um, I'm a comprehensively trained Pilates teacher. Um, <laughs> I am also a certified personal trainer. Um, I have also graduated from a couple of sort of more manual therapy bodywork trainings. And then, you know, I pull from when I teach and when I work with people, though, really, I pull from anything I've ever learned or done or experienced that helped. Uh, I, I, part of why I took so many trainings is because I felt like most trainings are training you to understand that system. And while that's good and I have a lot of respect for really having sort of these um, rules as it were to help formulate how we think and look at things and so that we don't just sort of go haywire with a, an idea in our head that may not really have any basis I always really wanted to understand the human the human system the human body as a system and how that interacts with human mind human emotions uh, and human spirituality and so I did all of these trainings sort of looking for the common threads throughout much like I did with religion uh, sort of like well okay well this system says this but this system says this and maybe there are different pathways to the same place and what is that place and how do I walk more directly there uh, so my work with people is really about just finding ways to contact and be present with what comes up. Be present with it in a way that's not about um, trying to shift it immediately, not trying to escape it, nor about 
just resigning ourselves to it. I think a lot about the difference between acceptance and resignation. Um, I think sometimes people treat acceptance as if, right, if I accept that, it means I'm okay with it if it keeps going on. Well, not necessarily. That can be resigning ourselves to it. Acceptance is, this is what's happening now. Fully accepting that can lead pathways to, yeah, but that's what's just what's happening now. Uh, so my work with people, and this is a typically Zach roundabout answer. <laughs> um, my work with people is about, you know, you have pain in this physical part of your body. That's not just a physical thing. There's emotion tied up in that and there's thought tied up in that. So how do we contact that in a way that lets us start to unwind those things and set ourselves free from them? I remember the first time I heard about that there might actually be an emotional or spiritual connection to the body. It blew my mind. And now I'm thinking, all right, well, what about here? What about here? Uh -huh. So very interesting. So I'm curious, who or what is God for you? <laughs> um, you used the word, so now I got to throw it back on you. Yeah, I would not use that word for a really long time. Okay. Um, but now, now I do. Uh, who or what is God to me? God is everything <laughs> and nothing. Um, one of the things that I didn't understand, but I saw the effect of it being in a Quaker community when I did, was the the idea of inner light. Uh, you know, the, the Quaker idea of we all have that of God within us. We are all made by God. And so we all have God's inner light. And one of my favorite George Fox quotations, which I won't get exactly, um, and George Fox founded, founded the Religious Society of Friends, um, is that he walks through the world seeking to answer that of God within everyone he meets. Mm -hmm. And I felt and saw that as so deeply respectful of people. Um, and I always, just intuitively and innately from a really young age, I cared more about people than anything else. And so I would get really upset with people and the society and the world when I saw right these like societal ideals and how they abused people um, and so in following that that sense of we all have that of God within us God is everywhere and God is everything and from our individual limited human perspective we can't always see that and that hung me up for a while and I think it does for a lot of others too where you see some tragedy happening in the world and you go how is that God uh, and if we if and when we can zoom out far enough we can see it in a in context and in a different light um, about about how all of that really is God um, one of the other things that helped me with that is sort of examining this idea of free will and what it really means um, and how that can match with the idea of a potentially all-loving creator uh, who, who it, it, you know, this idea of God is all-loving, but why is there so much tragedy in the world it never made sense to me until I sort of did my own process of sitting with with free will and 
and allowing people to be themselves and figure it out on their own and do their thing rather than trying to control their process. Um, so in a very non-dual way, God is everywhere and everything, and we are all God, but we are all just ourselves at the same time. One of the things I've been journaling about, and I recently wrote on social media, is what if God is in process of becoming as well? Yeah, I saw that post. I really enjoyed it. Um, I had a conversation really recently with a good friend just this past weekend um, about sort of similar thing of we are all God becoming uh, and and how that plays into sort of your post of God being in this process and needing us to do our process right. um, is, yeah, I think you're really on yeah, something. The, the, my mind can just go forever on that, just thinking <laughs> on that. So another part of your practice, another part uh, that you do is working with plant medicine. So what is plant medicine? What is it to you? <laughs> this is such a big, uh, big subject. It sort of feels um, stepping out of my bounds to talk about it too much. Um, but I'm just gonna, you know, nothing I say is the answer. It's just, you know, my my human viewpoint. Um, so sort of take things with that with that understanding. Uh, my first experience with plant medicine was before I really developed much of a, of a, of a, um, of a spiritual practice. Uh, it was not long before, but it was before. And, um, you know, this was 14 or so years ago now. Uh, and it really connected me to a sense of intuition and knowing. Uh, I, you know, I didn't expect that on this experience. I just sort of, um, one of my friends was like, hey, <laughs> I'd love to eat some mushrooms with you. I think you'd be a great person to do that with. And I think you'd really like it. And I'd never had experience with them before. Um, it wasn't the first time they'd been offered, but it was certainly the first time that they'd been offered in a setting and with a person that I felt uh, was a good idea. Um, so so we, we, we took some mushrooms and went on a really long walk and it was just, a beautiful experience and even if it had done nothing else it really just steeped me in the joy of existence which is not something up until that point i was terribly familiar with um, and at one point towards the end of that journey i was just sitting there not really doing anything and just this sense of like oh 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 what 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 I was so surprised to just have a really deep sense of knowing what I wanted to do next in life. I just, that was what I wanted to do. It was obvious, it was clear, and that felt, um, and really was a permanent shift, and I just went along that path. So it kind of removed maybe the filters of what society expects, what your parents or age you expect to really, what do I want to do? Yeah, um, it really did. And if you look into, um, some of the science of how these things work, I think that can be a tricky thing because it can become reductionist, um, but it's also science is useful, right? And so if we look into some of that, that idea that these, these substances take away filters, there's really something there. Um, so in more recent years and based off of that, you know, first experience, 
To me, plant medicine is a place to go and a thing to do to re-examine ourselves, um, to sort of almost step outside of ourselves to get that third party perspective where the innate wisdom and understanding and knowing we all have. And, you know, we all know it's so much easier to see things in others and speak to others, but then seeing it in ourselves is so much harder. Um, it almost gives us a moment to step out of ourselves enough to look at ourselves as ourselves and go, oh, oh, I've been doing that. I don't need to be doing that. I don't want to be doing that. Or, oh, I haven't been doing that. Whoa, I want to. Uh, so for me, plant medicine is really a help and a reminder about how do I live more freely, but also more responsibly. Um, sometimes people really get into it as like this, like really self-discovery and just be, you know, this like ego-driven thing. Um, but for me, it's very much about connecting to the outer as well um, and putting down these stories I've picked up that disconnect me from the other and finding when, where, and how I'm doing that. How do I not? So that, yes, I can be me, but with great respect to the world around me. Mm -hmm. So if someone were interested but had no experience, what advice would you give them? <laughs> this is very funny thing to say in a podcast where I'm talking about it, but I would say um, don't listen to too many other people's stories and don't read too much, especially on the internet, um, because all of those things are someone else's experience and someone else's story, and they're not going to be yours. Uh, the real teacher is actual direct experience. Um, and I would also say really listen to whatever knowing you have inside. Um, sometimes you might find opportunities for it that just kind of don't feel right. Listen to that um, because as has become uh, more, there's been more talk about it. It's not always good. Bad things can and do happen. People um, are not always acting in their best interest, right? Just because somebody's involved in plant medicine doesn't mean they're a good person, doesn't mean they're really actually doing their own work. Uh, but if there's something inside that's pulling you towards it, I'd say keep listening to that um, and keep watching that uh, because they really can be wonderful helpers. Would you recommend, you know, someone find a sitter, someone find, those are things I know you've talked about. With yeah, um, absolutely. It, you know, the, the very old, um, the old advice for any sort of psychedelic is set and setting absolutely pay attention to that setting be the physical being the physical location are you in a safe physical place what's the setting around you right you know there's a huge difference between having a sitter going to someone's house or having them come to your house and sort of you know i hear stories or even my first time of like taking them and walking around the city i don't actually recommend that <laughs> i did it and it worked well for me but i don't think it's necessarily a good idea um, and set being the mindset you're taking to it. And so there's in that 
right? There's sort of a deeper sense of knowing that can be separate from some amount of anxiety or fear we have when encountering these things. Um, but then there's also integration, I think is a really important thing to add. What are you doing? What support do you have after any experience to integrate what you learn into your life so that it doesn't just become this thing I do over here that's super fun and exciting, but what changes is it going to help you actually make on the daily basis in your life? Because that's the real medicine. Um, it's not that you do these things and then they do this stuff in your brain and you have these realizations and then everything is different afterwards. Sometimes I see people thinking that and they're like, you know, I go, what's going to be different? They go, oh, well, everything. Okay, no, but really ground this. What's going to be different? Um, what are you going to do differently when you're presented with two opportunities or a choice to go one way or the other? How are you going to make a different choice than you would have in the past? Because that's what changed it. Um, so integration is really, really important too. Uh, I think not for everyone, but for most of us, most of the time, having someone there who's experienced and who's holding space for you is really, really helpful. Um, that doesn't mean everyone's doing it perfectly, but when you meet someone who does that, or even just someone who has experience who's going to go into that experience with you, um, that is, again, listen to that sort of inner knowing of like, I might be scared of this experience, but also somewhere inside I recognize that there's something good here versus just fear of this experience. If you're just in that, not sure, listen to that. If you're like, yeah, I'm kind of scared, but there's some knowing yes, um, cool, uh, you know, because there's a certain amount of anxiety we encounter when we're letting go of what we've known, no matter how we're doing it. Uh, and, you know, that's just all going to be a very different experience than what a lot of people do, which is like, oh, I've heard these can be so helpful and useful, and then I'm just going to like dose myself at home. And when you're going into it with that idea, that's a very different intention and therefore a very different result um, than really taking the time to set an intention of what am I working on, how am I encountering this, and how am I going to see myself through out of this. And what support do I have to see myself through the other side of this? So you being a meditator, how do you see plant medicine and meditation working together? Yeah, that's a really good question. It's one of my most favorites. Um, gee, maybe it's almost like I asked you to ask me. <laughs> <laughs> what? I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, so thanks for being open to that. Um, yeah, so I, I had my first plant medicine experience at like I said, about 14 years ago. And then I wound up in meditation kind of by accident. Um, one of my friends, a couple of years after that experience, um, not even actually a couple of years, about a year after my first plant medicine experience, one of my friends had been to a Vipassana meditation retreat in the style of SN Goenka at one of his schools. And at the time I sort of knew meditation would be good for me. And I'd done a little bit of like sort of just very basic relaxation meditation, which was helpful. Um, I'm not, you know, a lot of people just sort of stop there and I don't want to poo poo that in any way um, because it was really helpful for me. And it's great for a lot of people sort of mindfulness based stress reduction stuff. Um, and so she was talking about this meditation retreat and I thought, yeah, I'm never going to do that. And then she said, and for 10 days, she didn't talk to anyone. There's no talking. And 
I was sold. <laughs> I thought, wait, they offer these meditation retreats. I don't have to pay to go. No one's going to talk to me for 10 days and I'm not going to talk to anyone for 10 days. Oh, I'm in. Whatever else I have to do to get that, I'm in. Um, I loved that idea. So I went and, um, and it was life-changing. Uh, and, you know, that's a, a common story we hear and it's such a it was life-changing thing to say. Um, but that, that first 10 day retreat fundamentally changed my relationship with reality. Um, and, and plant medicine can do the same thing. So as I've been meditating in the years since, and um, one of the, you know, it's funny to talk about COVID this way, but one of the benefits of COVID for me is I had so much time to sit. So uh, last spring, I was sitting um, several hours a day of sitting meditation and that um, really, really produced and brought on some fundamental shifts also in my relationship with reality on a much deeper level. And when I look at experiences I've had with no, having not in, ingested or taken any sort of substances, but just meditating. And I look at experiences I've had on various medicines. Um, they really have grown along each other side by side. And um, both just experientially for myself, I feel like they feed each other. And when, because of each, I get more out of the other. Um, and if you look into, you know, some science behind it, um, there's reasons for that, right? Modern science can look at um, the brains of people on psychedelics and the brains of people meditating. And it can be really hard um, to determine the brain scan of one from the brain scan of another. Uh, so, you know, just working from that, my personal experience is, again, there are different routes to a very similar place. And I think, um, you know, if I really had to choose one, I would pick the meditation practice. Uh, fortunately, I don't have to. I, I get to keep using both. Uh, it can be... Meditation, the reason for that is meditation really helps me ground my experiences from plant medicine and, and, and let them be things that I'm not dependent upon the medicine for, but that I may have first encountered and started to learn about the medicine, but now I can integrate and sort of weave like a thread through the rest of my life. Uh, and, and just to sort of wrap this up a little bit, as much as I have had really earth-shatteringly profound experiences with plant medicine uh, to date, um, and and I have, you know, done some of the big plant medicines. Um, I've experienced some of the big plant medicines, but even still to date, I've had experiences on meditation that were by far more profound and earth-shattering and really more radically and drastically shifted my relationship with reality in meditation uh, without any other aids. So I see them as, as two things that really go side by side and complement each other. Um, and again, two different routes to very similar place if they are used in that way. It's interesting. I'm reading the book I told you, uh, Being Ram Das, and it's his autobiography that he passed just before it's finished. But um, 
he talks about his time in the 60s before he was Ram Dass as Rupert Albert and doing the study with Timothy Leary on psychedelics and how they got they are what drove him to spirituality in the sense they opened up this this world but he always talked about it but it, you always had to come back and so ultimately he kind of came to that conclusion it provide provide a lot of insights but really it was the meditation and the practice that really grounded a lot of, of yeah. those things and some people get lost just in the Definitely. one without really yeah. that other piece that you're talking about definitely i love that perspective on you always have to come back and even just with sitting meditation it reminds me of the zen adage that before enlightenment chop wood carry water after enlightenment chop wood carry water um, or we see this with john cabot zen in his book after the ecstasy the laundry which is all about like we have these peak experiences whether on psychedelics or meditation and how do we really come back and not in a fracturing way of that was then and this is now but how do we really integrate is the thing I need to read that um oh it's great um how do we really integrate these peak experiences as a thread through our lives right well zach how can people get a hold of you they want to know more the best way to get a hold of me if you want to know more is actually through instagram I kind of roll my eyes at myself when I say that, but you know, because social media is such a thing, but also it's a tool and it's what we make of it. Um, you can find me on Instagram at the human movement school, spelled exactly like it sounds, no underscores, no spaces. Um, the human movement school. Uh, you can follow me there if you like. You can send me a message there if you like, if you are curious um, just to talk to me to ask me any questions you might have or to get curious about sort of how I how I work with people um, to really encounter the physical um, as a root, right? Everything, if it's coming up physically, even though from my personal perspective, nothing begins physically, it all begins energetically. If it's coming up physically, that's a root and a pathway we have to follow, uh, to learn from it and how, how I help people do that. Um, or just anything else you might want to reach me for. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Absolutely. You're welcome. Thank you for inviting me. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you want to continue listening, please consider joining our Patreon or visiting us on Facebook. Until next time, this is PAX. Mm -hmm.